introduction. Um, yeah, we were talking, Mike and I were talking earlier about um, times that I've been involved down here at Grace Church Hollister. I've been involved down here off and on quite a number of times over, I don't know, two plus decades. But he mentioned this men's conference that I participated in with the founding pastor, Jim Achilles. I just don't even remember that conference, but I'm glad he does. I remember other um, situations where I was down here, though, and it's always been a blessing. And in addition to that, uh, from time to time, uh, men from Grace Church Hollister have joined our church for men's retreats over in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and it's always been good to have them. And so when John, Pastor John, was talking with me about maybe coming and doing some pulpit supply, and Michael was with him as well, um, I was really happy that I could come and share the word with you. Um, even though West Hills Community Church in Morgan Hill and Grace Church Hollister are not technically sister churches, uh, we've always had this connection over the years. And so it's a privilege to be with you and to just uh, speak the word to you this morning. So with that, why don't you join with me? I want to pray and ask the Lord to bless our time and then we'll get right into God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have the opportunity to once again gather together to worship you corporately. I know that all across San Benito County, all across Santa Clara County where I live, all across California and our nation and the world, your people are gathering together for the express purpose of uniting to worship you and to minister to one another and to build each other up in love and also to be built up through the proclamation of your word. It's such a privilege that we're a part of that. It's such a privilege that we're a part of your body, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that in the same way that you are present in all of those churches in the person of your spirit, so you're present here. And so we pray, having worshiped you in song, that you would now meet us as we look at this portion of scripture, we pray that you would use it to build all of us up in our most holy faith. I pray that you would use this particularly to encourage this group of believers as they face the future and as their pastor has just taken another charge and left not too long ago so that they would be encouraged in you and the enthusiasm that they have for ministries like Operation Christmas Child would fill them in every way in relation to why you've planted them here in Hollister and what their future holds. And now finally, I pray for myself. Please give me wisdom and the ability to preach your word in a way that's going to honor you, feed your people, call those who are not your people to become so. Give me grace now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So through the ages, uh, one of the regular challenges which has always faced God's people um, is the challenge of leadership transition, the challenge of leadership cha transition. And the reason this challenge is a, is, is a constant from a human perspective is that men are temporary. And so men in leadership, even if they stay for a long, long time, are temporary at best. 
Um, but God is not. God is eternal. And he continues to do his work uh, regardless of the temporary nature of those that he calls into spiritual leadership. Um, and so sometimes the impact of leadership transition seems really negative from a human perspective. It can be negative from a human perspective. Uh, leadership transition doesn't always result in good fruit initially. And if we survey scripture as well as church history, we see this challenge arise repeatedly over and over and over and over and over and over and over. It never ceases because we're temporal people. Um, we also see something also, though. While from a human perspective, leadership transition may seem scary or even counterproductive, that is not the case for God. And all of us knows that because the Lord, as I said, is eternal. And what we see from the divine perspective is that leaders of churches or of God's people come and go, but through it all, God remains faithful. His faithfulness never changes. It never ceases. Uh, let me give you some examples from the word. Um, Jacob's family, and if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you'll know that there was a man named Abraham, and he had a son named Isaac, and then Isaac had a couple of sons, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob was one of the patriarchs of Israel. You can read about him in Genesis. Uh, he and his family ultimately made it down to the land of Egypt, and one of the sons of Jacob had preceded them through a series of what we would consider negative human events. His name was Joseph, and he had risen to the top in terms of the Egyptian political system. He was second in authority next to Pharaoh only. Uh, so Joseph was in power when Jacob and the rest of his family made it down to Egypt. As long as Joseph was alive, Jacob's family dwelt securely in the land of Egypt. But then Jacob died. And we're told in the first chapter of Exodus that a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. And after that Pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph, it was a matter of time that the plight of the Jews looked bleak. And it looked bleak for a lot of years. Multiple generations, and then God raised up a deliverer. And some of you know the name of that deliverer. It was a man named Moses. And Moses was used of God to deliver Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. And he led the Israelites all the way up to the Jordan River, but his leadership stopped before the Israelites crossed into the promised land. He was used of God in a mighty way. And then he died. And then God raised up another man to continue the leadership. His name was Joshua. And he was used of God to take the Israelites into Canaan. But then he died. And after Joshua died, there was a period where these men called judges arose. And there's a whole book in the Bible about the judges. And they would arise and lead Israel and lead them back to God. And then one of them would die and then Israel would depart from the way. And then there would be persecution and oppression. And they would cry out to the Lord God and another judge would rise. That was the book of Judges. God always raised a leader up 
Sometimes sooner, sometimes later, but he always raised the leader up. And the truth of the matter is every Elijah has his Elisha, his successor. And even Jesus Christ, after being crucified, buried, risen from the dead and ascended, also had a successor, if you will, And the successor was not a human. The successor was the Holy Spirit. And so if you read in John 14, 16 to 18, Jesus promised his disciples that he would not leave them as orphans, that he would come to them. And so after Jesus ascended back to glory, he sent his successor, the Holy Spirit, that would be the comforter of his people and who would be with them forever. And that principle holds true. Uh, It held true in the first century. It's held true through the first 1,500 years of the church's life. If you know church history a little bit, it held true from there to our time, and it holds true for us today. It holds true for you here at Grace Church Hollister. It holds true for other churches too. You know, a number of churches actually lost pastors during the whole COVID crisis, But still, this principle holds true that the Lord is faithful. And he always raises up those who will come along and be used of him to lead his people. And as you know, um, we are in the wake of Pastor John's departure. And John and I became friends, and I hated to see him move on. Um, I've stayed in one place for quite a long time, and that's just the grace of God. I've been at West Hills for actually literally over half my life. And sometimes, sometimes I wish God would give me another assignment. <laughs> actually, that was just a joke. That was just a joke. It's strictly by the grace of God that I've been there for so long. But I, I get impacted by this tendency that uh, leaders that have been placed in God's church, uh, they're raised up, they serve for a while, and they move on. Uh, and Pastor John and I had become friends and he moved, excuse me, moved on. Uh, but the truth of the matter um, is that God remains faithful. As another John, a John named Calvin, actually wrote at one time. And here's what he wrote, quote, When God takes away those whom he has adorned with special gifts, he has others in readiness to supply their place. And so even though Pastor John has now taken a charge in Texas, God has others that he is raising up or has raised up to take their place. That's the way that it is in the kingdom of God. That's the way that it is in the church of Christ. And because that's true, we can be encouraged about that. Uh, Now, we understand this, I know. I know some of your history. I know that Grace Church here has had not one, not two, but three pastors. You've also got some wonderful elders, pastor elders. We understand this about transitions, that leaders of churches come and go, but God remains faithful. But here's the question that I want to pose to you and try to answer this morning. The question facing you as a particular church, which is facing yet another pastoral transition, leadership transition, is what do we do in the meantime? 
How do we press forward in a positive way so that as a congregation, we're continually blessed by the Lord? Now, in the days and weeks and months ahead, each of you may answer my question in various ways. And there are a number of ways that you can answer that question. Some positive, maybe some negative. That sometimes happens when there's a leadership transition. But what I would like to do this morning is point you to an example from Scripture, which comes to us from the Old Testament book of Joshua. And so if you have a copy of the Bible, hard copy or electronic, open to Joshua chapter 1 or scroll over to Joshua chapter 1. And this particular example teaches us how to move our focus off the transition and on to what the Lord of the church has in store for Grace Church in your next season of life. Follow where I'm going? So the question is, how do we pass through this transition in a positive way? And I think this story is designed to move our focus off the transition and onto what the Lord of the church has during this next season of the life of this congregation. And so the example comes from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Now I want to read these nine verses for you. And so follow along as I read. And then we'll jump in and unpack this text. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 starts like this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Then in verse 5, we have this. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The word of the Lord. Here's the backdrop for this event. 
Moses died. And Joshua is now leader. Joshua knew he was going to be the leader before Moses died. And so if you look back to chapter 31 and you look at verse um, 23, we read the words that the Lord commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. And so he was Moses' assistant. And he was commissioned. Uh, when you look at the last chapter of Deuteronomy, you'll read a little bit about who this Moses was. And I want to call your attention to a couple of verses. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 34, 5 says this about Moses. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. In verse 6, he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. No one knows the place of his burial to this day. Verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And then if you jump down to verse 10, it says, There is not risen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of the Lord. And Moses is now dead. And Joshua is now the leader. And Moses left some pretty big shoes to fill, didn't he? And can you imagine what you might have been feeling like, guys, if you had been Joshua? And you had seen all of the way that the Lord moved through Moses. And now you're at the brink of the Jordan River and Moses has died. And you've just been pushed to the forefront. And it's up to you now to lead the people like Moses led the people. That's the scene that we've got. And we might be able to imagine how Joshua may have felt. Uh, your elders, Darren and Michael and Goliff, did I say that right? Maybe feeling a little bit like Joshua felt. Because as pastor elders in a congregation, they have charged to shepherd the flock of God that's in their midst. They have charged to guard it against wolves. They have charged to lead it in learning the word of God. They may feel a little bit like Joshua did, probably not as intensely because neither I nor John came close to being like Moses. But nevertheless, they've been left with the charge of this congregation. And the responsibility to lead a congregation is heavy indeed. And so the question is, what happened? Well, the Lord speaks to Joshua in such a way so as to get his attention off the transition in leadership and onto the Lord's priority for his people. That's what you've got in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. And the Lord does this by directing Joshua's gaze in four different directions. He directs Joshua's gaze backwards 
So he has Joshua take a backward look, and he directs Joshua's gaze forward. So he has Joshua take a forward look, and then he directs his gaze inward, and he has him take an inward look, and then finally, he directs his gaze upward all through what he says, so he has him take an upward look. And those four direct, that four-directional looking was designed to get Joshua and Israel's focus off the transition and onto what God had for Israel in the future. So first of all, the Lord has Joshua take a backward look. Notice verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead, period. End of discussion. That's all he said about Moses. That's the backward look. Moses is dead. In other words, he was used by me, the Lord implies, but now he's dead. And he can't be used by me anymore because he isn't here. But the implication is you can't move forward by looking backwards. You can't move forward by looking backwards. Israel would never have been able to move forward had they continually, continually, continually looked backward to the days of Moses. Oh, man, I wish we were back in the days of Moses. Wouldn't it be great? Moses was so powerful. Moses was so passionate. You can't move forward if you keep looking in that direction. I had this impressed upon me in the most painful sort of way when I was a kid that you can't move forward in the right way while you're looking backwards. I grew up on a street with, there were seven of us boys and one girl. We all grew up together. We were within one year of each other. And we used to play capture the flag at night or sometimes tag, uh, whatever. And our street had tons and tons of trees that grew in the front yards and the backyards of the houses. And we were playing tag one night and the guy that was it got after me, and I was running as hard as I could run. And I wanted to see how close he was to me before I made it to base. And so I'm running full tilt, and I'm looking back to see how close he is. Now listen, you can't move forward looking backward. I looked forward just in time to see this elm tree that was about that big around right in front of me. And just like some of the cartoons you've seen, Boom, I face planted right into it. And I fell to the ground. It didn't knock me out. He ran up and said, Tag, you're it. <laughs> he didn't even ask me if I was all right. He just ran on off to base. But look, that's the principle here. He wanted Joshua to take a backward look. And he said what he said about the past Moses, my servant, is dead because. You can't move forward by looking back. And congregation, you can't, look, you can't move forward by looking back either. You've had wonderful pastors. But you can't move forward by looking back. Now listen, Pastor John's not dead, but he's gone. And you as a church and an elder team, as I said, can't move forward by looking back. Now, the Lord knew that to be true. And so after having Joshua take a backward look, he also has him take a forward look. 
Now, here is the forward look that he gave to Joshua. I'm going to read verses 2 through 5. Now, therefore, being that Moses, my servant, is dead, now, therefore, arise, get up, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. Implication, as I was with Moses, so I'm with you. The promise still holds, though Moses is dead. Verse 4, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Let's stop right there. That was the forward look. And what he's saying to Joshua, or he is saying to Joshua, that the mission, the task, lay ahead of him, not behind him. It lay ahead of him. And that was to be Joshua's focus. His focus was to be the conquest of Canaan, the land promised to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob. And he was to lead the Israelites in the conquest of that land. Now, guess what? Because he was the leader that God raised up, what he was communicated about in chapter 1 ultimately got communicated out to the rest of the Israelites because they were going to be on the mission with him. And so it applied to the whole of the nation at that particular time. And so the question for us in the 21st century is, because we're not Israel, obviously, you're an expression of Christ's body, a local church, does your church have a similar mission? The answer actually is yes. We got a snapshot of it when these two wonderful ladies shared about Operation Christmas Child. And you know what? I was blessed by watching that film and listening to those kids talking. Um, Do you have a mission as a church? Absolutely, positively, you better believe it. That's a part of it. As, is it Jula? Made a point of saying... Just through that simple act of packing a box for a kid or multiple boxes if you want to, you're going to have a reach for the gospel outside the borders, not only of Hollister, but outside the borders of the country. You have a mission as a church. Just like the Israelites and Joshua had a mission way back then. Every church has a mission given by the Lord Christ. And in this particular church, you've also got three men who fill the role of pastor elder who would be to this church what Joshua is in this story. More about that later. So the Lord Christ has given you a mission as he does to all churches. What is it? Well, let me give you three bullet points about the mission that we have as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first is that we are to be about, as a body of believers, the worship of the Lord God, the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to the Father through Jesus the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And part of 
what God accomplishes in us as we do is that he creates worshipers that worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, that worship happens individually. Hopefully, you have a private worship in your home. But that worship also happens as a corporate body as you gather together. That's by God's design. We don't worship like we did this morning just for kicks. We worship because this is the way the Lord has ordered it. And one of the ways that we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is through the worship of God. And that's part of your mission like it is the mission in our church. Um, another part of the mission is that we're called to make disciples. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 was given to the original apostles. It's been passed down to Christ's church for 2,000 years now. And we still have that as our mission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything Jesus commanded. And then we have his promise of faithfulness. He says, and by the way, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, as Jula, Jula, as Jula's mom said, she probably will never be an overseas missionary. Don't be sure. When I, was, when I was a missionary in the Philippines, we had a gentleman that came over as a missionary, and we called him Grandpa Sinclair, and he was in his late 70s. So never think because you're elderly that you might not serve the Lord overseas. He did, and he was a hit. And it took three or four staff members from our Filipino sister organization to cover the ministry he did because he'd started so many Bible studies. That's a side note. Never mind. But look, we're called to make disciples. And you know, as a church, you're, you, you, you find yourself here in Hollister. And so this is your primary area of operation um, to be about making disciples and seeing them baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commands. That's your calling. And then equipping the saints is also a part of your ministry as well. Uh, building up disciples to maturity in Christ. That's what Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 is about. And I won't jump over there and read those verses, but write these down, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. It's important to know what those verses say. And in the same way Joshua had a specific mission, so does Christ's church. Now let me show you something interesting. Worship and worshiping God is what all of us as Christians do, privately, also corporately. So we all play a part in that, don't we? And making disciples is also what all of us are called to do as well. How do we spread the gospel? God's given us different gifts, and that's the way we impact other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do. But what about equipping the saints? Well, you know what? Specifically, equipping the saints is given first and foremost to the pastor elders in the midst of a given congregation. That's the context of Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 13. And you've got three elders that have that calling. Michael and Golov and Denny. Did I get your name right? Darren. Darren. Why did I say Denny? <laughs> Darren. I know Darren. They've got a primary calling in that area. To be being used of God to equip the saints for works of service and the building up of the body of Christ. And so keep focused on the mission from God. 
That's the forward look. Now, for Joshua to accomplish the mission he was given by God, it would require something. It would require internal fortitude. It would require him not shrinking back, but rather rising to the occasion. So God says, arise, get up, get going. He would have to rise to the occasion. And so the Lord also told him to take an inward look. And so the inward look is seen in verses 6 and 7 and 8. Let me read it to you really quickly. He says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. He already said that to him before Moses died. He says it to him again now that Moses has died. Be strong and courageous. That's something that springs from the heart of a person. It springs from the heart of a man as he trusts God and walks by faith. He says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. But let me show you how important it was for Joshua to be strong and courageous. Listen to how many times this is mentioned in verse seven and eight. He says, be strong and courageous, verse 6. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And then if you jump over to verse 9, be strong and courageous. That's a call to internal fortitude. Joshua had to examine his heart. And he had to keep his heart. And it would require him to cultivate his heart before the Lord. And he was to do this in a particular way. He was to do that by internalizing the written word of God, which he had at that time. Now, the Lord's speaking to him here in one of the various ways that God spoke in the Old Testament economy. But he points him to the written word that he had at the time. What would that have been? Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses was the author of the Pentateuch. Joshua had those scriptures. Again, he was to cultivate his heart before the Lord by internalizing the written word of God, which he had at the time. That's in verse 7 and 8. Now, notice the exhortation the Lord gave in the middle of verse 7. After saying, only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you, God says this, do not turn from it. Do not turn from it to the right. Do not turn from it to the left. Keep a steady course. Stay the course that the word lays down. It's Christ's word. He was to take his cues from the Christ, from the Lord God, from the Spirit, not the culture. And that applies to us today. We strengthen our inner resolve by internalizing the Word of God, and we're called to take our cues from Christ's Word, not from the culture around us. In the same way that the Israelites were warned not to take their cues from the culture that would be around them as they conquested Canaan, but rather from the word. And as it was for Joshua, so it must be for you. And especially 
you three men that are elders. The word is the roadmap. It's God's message to us in print so that it never fades away and the Holy Spirit illuminates us and enables us by his grace to follow it. And so the Lord had Joshua take a backward look and he had Joshua take a forward look and he had Joshua take an inward look in order that he might be successful through this leadership transition and Israel was to follow suit. But in addition, there's one more look that God had for Joshua. Um, in addition, the, the Lord gives a fourth direction for Joshua's gaze and he directed his gaze in this direction by telling him finally, and this runs like a thread through the text, that he had to take an upward look. What do I mean by upward look? Well, let me read you the statements, and then you can tell me what the upward look is. Um, Notice verse 2 and 3 and 5 and 6 and 9. In verse 2, the Lord says that he is to go across the Jordan, him and all this people, into the land that I am giving you. If you jump down to verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. If you jump down to verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. If you jump a little further down, To verse 6, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. I'm the one that made the promise. I'm the one that will fulfill it. And then finally, if you jump over to the ninth verse, he says to Joshua, have I not commanded you? And then he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. You see, that's the tendency when our internal fortitude begins to get weak. It's really easy to get afraid. It's really easy to be frightened. And scripture is replete with situations where that is what happened. But God says, I'm the one that commanded you. So don't be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What does the upward look have to do with? It has to do with Joshua keeping his focus on this God that was Moses' God. That had laid waste to the Egyptians. That had led the Israelites out of Egypt. That had sustained Moses all that time. And that was going to be with him, Joshua, in the same way that he had been with Moses before Moses died. That's the upward look. And in the same way Joshua was called to make, keep an upward look, so we are as well. Where does our gaze go? Christ. 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 Michael mentioned this in his prayer. He prayed a part of Scripture. Let us boldly come to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's out of Hebrews. That was a portion of Scripture he prayed. And that's where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And that's why we can come boldly to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you know, the marvelous thing is that because we're Christians, individually or as a church, through Christ's death, 
and resurrection, we have unrestricted access to the throne of the God of glory. You men as elders, you have unrestricted access to the throne of the God of glory. You're going to face times you don't know what in the world to do. Welcome to the human race. But there is a man who is also God who knows exactly what to do. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And we can beseech him. We can approach him. We can say, Lord Jesus, you put me into this situation. I have no clue what to do. Give me wisdom. You promised me wisdom out of James chapter 1. Give me wisdom so that I and we as elders know how to shepherd this people. And you as a church can pray the same thing. We as a church, Father, need wisdom. Give us wisdom corporately so we know how to move forward, so we know what to do next. My understanding is you're going to do a pastoral search. Maybe you have a bunch of resumes. How are you going to know who God is choosing? you got to cry out to God, cry out to him for wisdom, cry out to him to give you discernment and insight because what you can't see, he knows already and he will give you wisdom as you move forward if you come to that place where you want to call somebody else into this particular uh, pulpit and into this particular ministry that Pastor John, the beloved, vacated when he moved on to Texas. What he's saying to Joshua above everything else was to know that the Lord was with him and the Lord had promised him so that if he could keep his mind off the past, off of Moses, if he could keep his gaze on the mission, if he could keep his heart through the word, and if he could keep his eyes on the Lord and his promise, he would be able to lead Israel to the next season of their life. And if you read through the book of Joshua, you'll find that that's exactly what he did. He led them through the transition, and the transition was successful, and the mission of God went on and on and on and on. So, how do we process a transition? You're in the midst of a transition. Our congregation will eventually be in the midst of a transition because I'm as mortal as any other man, and I won't be there forever, just like John wasn't here forever. Here's how you process a transition. And this is your charge as well. So be taking a backward look, rejoicing in what God did through your former pastor. And he did some wonderful things through John. But now John's gone. And so when you're rejoicing, make sure you're taking the forward look. Because he has a mission for you. Right here in Hollister. And pastoral transition doesn't change it. You've got to constantly take an inward look. And make sure that your heart and mind is being shaped, 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 molded by the word of the living God given to us in print, illuminated by the Spirit. Especially you elders, you have to do that. And then make sure you're maintaining an upward look. Fixing your gaze on the Lord of glory. For in the same way that the great God was Israel's God, 
So the great God made man, crucified, risen, ascended, reigning, is the head of the church. And he will never leave you or forsake you. And his purpose will not fail. As long as you take the backward, the forward, the inward, and maintain the upward look. He will take you through in the way he chooses. For he is the Lord of the church. And he loves this congregation. He loved it with his blood. And he gave his life for it. And all of you that are Christians are a part of it. I'm going to ask you to join with me. Let's pray. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. So join with me. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you once again for the privilege of coming and sharing this short message to these dear brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to thank you for the legacy that Grace Church has here in the Hollister area. I want to thank you for the way that you've used all of the pastors that they've had. And I want to thank you that now they're in transition again. And your promise doesn't fade. That you are their church, you, you, you are their Lord and they are your church. And I pray that they would be able to maintain the right focus as they go through this transition. I want to pray for Michael. I want to pray for Darren. I want to pray for Goliath. I pray for these three men. They've been appointed by the Holy Spirit as shepherd elders in this flock. I pray that you would give them grace above everybody else so that they can shepherd your flock, which is in their midst, and do it in a wonderful way, in a way pleasing to you. And I pray you just build up the church and give them an excitement as they wait to see what the next part of their story is going to be like.